0: Kids can go to junior church. Uh, we have children in the south wing, toddlers downstairs. All right, I've just got to get myself situated up here. I'm having a day, so forgive me. All right. so if you'd just allow me to open in prayer, I know we just prayed uh, over the parents, but I'd like to just pray before we enter into our last sermon on the church as we look at God's word. So if you'd just join me in prayer this morning, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have this morning to look at your word again, to worship you through listening and through sharing with each other. I pray right now that you would guide this time, that you would use your word the way that you've promised to use it, to to transform us, uh, to to correct us, to teach us, to instruct us, even to rebuke us. Lord, whatever it is today that you would have for your word to do, would you do that? Would you be glorified this morning as we look at what you have to say about what it looks like to live in a church that you've placed us here, this family that you've put us in? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John McDermott, can I ask you to do me a favor and get me a bottle of water from the refrigerator in the kitchen? You're just closest to me, so thank you. No wisecracks either. Wow. (laughs) All right, well, we have been uh, looking at the church for several weeks now. I think eight weeks in all, I think at the time it was said and done. This is our eighth and final week as we look at The church. And we're going to talk about again. The basics of church. Church 101 bringing us back to the basics of church. As we come back together from a very turbulent, weird time, we are together as a church, as a family, and we're going forward and we're going back to the basics. So we've been looking at a lot of different things, and as I've said along the way, some of these things have not been new to you, some of them have been things that you've known, but hopefully all of us as we come together are reminded of some of the truths that we see in scripture as it revolves around the church. Our church here in Alfred Almond, yes, the big church in the sense of the heavenly church, as Justin called it last week. Yes, we are thankful for the heavenly church, but we are also thankful for this local church, Alfred Almond Bible Church. We're here as a family. Uh, and whether you're here every week and you consider yourself family or you're just visiting family, I hope you know that you are here among family. And that is our hope as we continue through this series. So as we come to the end of this, um, so so far what we've seen um, is pretty simple but yet kind of complicated. So here, we, let's just read what we've been looking at throughout this whole series. The church is the get-together of Jesus' family. So the church is the get-together of Jesus' family that is in the business of magnifying God, loving one another, and witnessing to the world around us. This is realized in very many ways, but... But some of them that we've specifically talked about, it's been realized through corporate worship, it's worshipped through communion together, it's it's there through baptism as we celebrate people coming to know Jesus together. It's realized through sharing with one another, not only money and resources, but just sharing life. And then also, even last week, talking about we share uh, and we come together and this is all realized together as we formally commit, we have membership we say to one another, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And we do that as a family. So that whatever comes, the good, the bad, the ugly, that we stick together as a family. And so we've been looking at all of these things, but again, notice what the whole point is. It's, it's Jesus' family that is in the business of magnifying God. And that magnifying God, that is an umbrella, and it shows us that we need to love one another to magnify God. It shows us we need to witness to the world, and it shows us we need to commit ourselves to all these things, corporate worship, communion, baptism, sharing, membership, all of the things that we've talked about. And we take all of these pieces together and put them uh, together. Here's what we're going to say today. Today, I think all of these things point us to this point, and it's a good place to kind of end in one sense and then just launch off in another sense, and that is that the church grows together. The church grows together. Now, I'm talking about the fact that we will grow together in knowing each other better, but even more importantly, we will grow together to be more like Jesus, and that's the point we're going to look at today. As we think about the fact that the church exists, it's Jesus' family, and we want to magnify God. If we want to magnify God, then God is seen glorious when we are growing in our faith and becoming more like him. Because again, it's not about us, it's all about him. And so today we're going to look at this idea that the, the church grows together. And as we talk about family, that's a pretty natural analogy, and although all analogies do fall short, we see that in analogy of the regular family, of the the nuclear family, of uh, parents and their children, we watch them grow together in closeness and in maturity. Like if there's a family that you watch, you'll see that their kids will grow more and more, and even the parents will grow more and more. I've said so many times to people when I'm talking to them, if you want to, if you want to mature and grow as a person, then have kids because there's no other way. I mean, that is just it. Just it's going to push everything. You're going to see your ugly side. You're going to see some of your best side, but it's going to mature you. And the point is, a family does grow together. It's not just like it's the parents' job to make the the kids understand how to live, but really as parents parent, they understand that life has challenges and we need to get through those challenges. And we can talk about it in the non-Christian way of saying they mature together just in in the general sense of maturity. But even as a Christian family, like we just celebrated today as we dedicate children to be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, this is the idea. The idea would be that that family, we will watch these children grow into more and more Christ-like young people. And our hope and our goal would be that one day we might see them in the baptistry tank and being baptized and declaring their faith in Jesus, that they will come to know Jesus and then we'll be able to see that as a family. And we want to see that and we want to see parents who are growing closer to each other, growing closer to their kids and growing closer even to the others around our church. And so a healthy family grows, that's my point. Whether it's an earthly family that we're talking about or if we're talking about our family as a local church, a healthy family will grow. But in order to grow, there needs to be a couple of things happening. Three things we're going to talk about today. There needs to be three elements that exist in a church or in this family that are going to bring us to a place of growth. And so we're going to talk about those three things today. We're going to start with one of... It was something that Justin already started to talk about, even a little bit last week, in talking about membership, and we're going to talk about the idea of leadership. In order for a family to grow, the church grows through leadership, through godly, good leadership. And as we talk about this, I I want to make sure just right off the right just right out of the gate. Everything that's said here, this is not supposed to be a sermon that's supposed to be like, okay, you need to respect my authority, okay? This is not the point. The point is actually going to be to push all of us to look for opportunities to lead. The point is going to be to see, yes, we do need to submit to leadership. There is that element in Scripture that is obvious, but there's, the, there's another piece that I want us to consider, and that is, where can you step up to lead? And every one of us might have a different place or a different way to do that. But let's, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's start by looking... Today's passage I actually skipped right over this the church grows together. Today's theme passage where everything's going to flow from is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh so if we go back and we're going to read all of Ephesians 4:11 through 24. I got ahead of myself, but okay, Ephesians 4:11 through 24. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Again, this passage is where we're going to, this is going to be our base camp, if you will, where we're going to look at what the church is meant to do. And you look at just some of the verbs in here and some of the ideas. It's all about maturity, growth. People working together to receive growth. Even the end of this, what is growth? It's putting on the new man. It's living a new life that Jesus has given us. And so as a church, we come together to grow. And so indeed, as I said earlier, the first one we see is that the church grows through leadership. Those first couple verses in Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we see here that in Ephesians 4, one of the foundation blocks of how a church is to grow together and to grow up and to be more like Jesus is that they have leadership. It started with the apostles and prophets uh, and evangelists who spread the, the good news and it continues on through shepherds. That word, by the way, is the same word for pastor. That is the word pastor. So for shepherds and teachers, maybe your translation says pastor's teachers or pastor teachers because this idea of shepherds and teachers that's leading it's people who are leading the church of God towards growth and so in Ephesians 4 we see this is a building block on which we have to grow as a church but let's look at three things about leaders this morning that are important for us to understand I've got a lot of information to get through a lot of verses to read so please bear with me we're going to be speeding through a little bit first thing we're going to look at is that leaders must be shepherded by Jesus. Leaders must be shepherded, shepherded by Jesus. And we can't, we gotta start with this point because it's not as if leaders are above and beyond everyone else. It's not as if if you're a leader you're perfect and you have no issues and you're never gonna make a mistake. The point of being a leader is, though, that we need to be shepherded by Jesus and we need to follow Jesus if we're going to lead. That implies to elders, it applies to deacons, it implies to Sunday school teachers, it applies to any situation you find yourself in where you are leading others. But specifically, obviously in the Bible, we're talking about church leadership in the idea of pastors, elders, shepherds. But before they can shepherd, they need to be shepherded. 1 Peter 5, 1-4. idea that Peter tells the other elders to say, shepherd the flock of God. But I want to focus in here towards the end where it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a reminder to all leaders that even though, yes, we are called to the role of shepherd, and if you're leading people in your life, whether you are a parent shepherding your children, uh, whether you are a leader in the church shepherding people, Or whether you find yourself in another situation where you are shepherding people for the good of, for the glory of Christ, that although, yes, we can function that way, we are still sheep. We still need shepherding. And so Peter makes that very clear, that all the leadership that is done, it needs to be done by people who are being shepherded by the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, who is Jesus himself. A couple more passages just to highlight this. Acts 20, 28, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and as he talks to them, he says this to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, Paul wants the elders to understand that it's only through God's Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he, they are around to be shepherds. And so he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. Before you can pay attention to the flock, you need to pay attention to yourselves. And so the point is here that leaders, again, need to be shepherded by Jesus. They are called by the Holy Spirit to what they are doing. So they need to be faithful and be shepherded and be care- pay careful attention. The idea there is that they're watching to make sure they're following Jesus. And 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we're going to go through this passage. This is where... Elders and deacons are given the, the qualities that are asked to be there in order to be in these positions. 1 Timothy 3, 1-13, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, but vi- not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I'm just going to say about this passage, as you look at the qualifications for leaders, both the elders who are the spiritual shepherds of the flock, and then you have the deacons who are participating in the service of the flock in order to continue growth, not only physically but also spiritually. Both of these options, so you have elders who are overseeing and deacons who are on the, on the ground, serving. And then there could be so many other opportunities to lead. But no matter where that is, especially elders and deacons, we see that the qualifications are not that you have a certain education or that you have certain leadership abilities or that you have a certain personality. That's not what God cares about. What God cares about is character, that you are following Jesus, that you are a follower of Jesus. And so again, a good leader. Before the church can have leadership that leads to growth, the leadership itself needs to be committed and following Jesus with their whole hearts. One final passage again to talk about this: First Timothy four twelve through sixteen. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which has been given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. As Paul writes to Timothy, he wants Timothy to know... Continue on living a godly life in Jesus. Keep a close watch on yourself is what he says. Leaders must watch ourselves to see that we are indeed living a godly life. But again, I want to make sure before we move on to the next subpoint here, that this is not about us. This is not about being a good enough person to be a leader. This is about submitting to Jesus and his spirit and saying, I am going to be submissive to you and I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I'm going to follow your word. That's what it's about. It's not about our effort, but it's about relying on the fact that God can work through us and in us and and despite us at times. And so I'm not saying here that you just have to be a good person to be a leader. What I'm saying is you need to be committed to Jesus and let him change you from the inside out. That's what a leader is called to do. And don't just shut off your ears because you say, well, I'm not leading. Because you are probably leading someone in your life. And by the way, maybe someday God will be using you to be even in a bigger role. And so therefore, it's important for all of us to be aware that we need to be concentrated on following Jesus with our whole heart. We can't lead others if we don't know where we're going As the saying goes, the blind can't lead the blind. So, yes, leaders must be shepherded, and that is a key that we need to understand. And leaders then must shepherd the church. So, not only does the church, leaders must be shepherded, they must also shepherd the church. We've already seen that. Uh, in First Peter 5, 1 through 4, right? We saw that I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. All right, so we've seen that now. We've seen that to be true. But then, uh, as it goes on, well, we'll get to verse 5 a little bit later. But right now, we are here and we're saying, yes, the job of the elder, of a leader, is to shepherd, not to dominate, not to make decisions, although that those decisions happen, but ultimately, the responsibility of a leader is to shepherd, to guide and to direct people towards Jesus. That is the goal, that is the purpose of a leader. In fact, back in Ephesians chapter 4, if you remember, when it says in the list of leaders that are provided to the church, shepherds and teachers, the whole idea of leadership is to shepherd, to guide and to lead and to protect, to bring people towards the pasture, which in this case is Jesus himself. And so leaders must shepherd, and they must flock, shepherd the flock. And again, it says here in this passage that they will give oversight. That's the idea of a leader, is to give oversight. Not to domineer, not to be a CEO, but to be a loving person who loves Jesus and leads others towards him. That's the point of a leader. The elders of Ephesus in uh, Acts 20, 28-29, were also told this same thing. They did, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We've already looked at this. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So here again, as Paul tells the Ephesian elders to shepherd their church, to oversee their church, part of that is to protect them from the wolves. And so again, a good leader, a leader of a growing church, is going to be a leader who loves Jesus and is shepherding others to love Jesus. That is how a healthy church can exist. And uh, and finally, as we talk about leadership, yes, in order for a family, a church family, to grow and be healthy, we need members that will submit to Jesus' shepherds. We need members that must submit to Jesus' shepherds. We've talked about this word, submit, and obey is also used in some of these passages. But first of all, let's read them. We've already read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, but let's uh, go verse 5. Right after he says, you will, the chief shepherd will appear, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see here in 1 Peter 5, 1-5, through 5, how clear it is that there should be submission to the leaders that God has placed over us. Because again, if they're following Jesus and leading you towards Jesus, then by following their lead, you're following his lead. You're following the shepherd that's leading you to the shepherd. You're following a shepherd to lead you to the shepherd. And that is the point. Hebrews 13, 7, and 17 also say these things. I don't have them on the screen right now. Uh, I missed those. But Hebrews 3, uh, this is a, a uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13 is a, is a key verse. So if you just listen to this, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 7 and then 17. First of all, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, as they're shepherding you, as they're being shepherded, you should be imitating your leaders as they imitate Jesus. So therefore, in the end, what you're really doing is you're being more like Jesus. And then Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pastor Justin talked about this last week. Leaders need to know who their sheep are and we also would we, we we would love to have sheep that follow and listen and submit because it makes it joyful for leaders. Don't be the person who is a shepherd biter. <laughs> Nobody likes a sheep who bites. Yet all of us sometimes can snip, can't we? But again, this is not just about blind respect no matter what. This is about following shepherds who are following the shepherd. And so therefore, it is a command to submit to the leaders that God has put over you because by submitting to them, you're submitting to Jesus. All right, moving on. We are way behind. Uh, um, oh, actually, I wanted to give this this analogy I don't want to miss. So I was trying to think about how do I explain this? Like, uh, you know, we're shepherds, but Jesus is the great shepherd. And I thought, okay, family, you're thinking about family. Uh, here's the thing. It's kind of like babysitting. Now, okay, this is going to be offensive to somebody. Maybe I shouldn't have said this, but, um, so God is the parent. The leaders he calls are the babysitters. <laughs> the rest of the flock are not babies. That is not the point of this. Okay. But the point is the babysitter is responsible to the parent for what happens in the home while they're gone. Does, does that make sense? Like, so in a sense, I feel like God's shepherds are like the babysitters in the sense of they are they are responsible, they are leading, but they're not the ultimate authority. And so if they do something against what the parents want them to be done, to do, that babysitter is going to be fired, no question. And so the babysitter needs to be following what the parents have said, and then the children who are following the babysitter need to listen to the babysitter, because if they don't listen to the babysitter after the babysitter has repeated the rules of the parent, then really the child is actually not not just disobeying the babysitter, they're disobeying the parent. And I feel like this is a, an interesting analogy as we think about how leadership might work. It's, the babysitter is fully accountable to the parent, and they can mess things up. If the parent comes home and the whole house is a mess, who's going to be held responsible first? The babysitter. All right? But then also, it's not like the kids get away with it and say, well, okay, the babysitter didn't stop us, so it was okay that we destroyed the house. I'm not saying anybody's destroying the house. Maybe I should have stayed away from this analogy. But I think this is a... Uh, for me, it made, it made, it made my... Weird, simple mind to understand better. But anyway, so we're gonna, we're gonna move on. Okay, so first way that a healthy church needs to grow is through leadership. Second way a church needs to grow is through discipleship. Discipleship, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, what we saw is that there is discipleship happening, that there is growth that's happening as people are teaching one another, and that's the idea. Ephesians four twelve through 16 talks about this. Uh it says that after the leaders, it says, "...to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood." And so, and then it says, From which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, every part is playing a part in building each other up, teaching each other to become more like Jesus. And the point of discipleship is that. Discipleship is really about training or apprenticeship. So Christian discipleship is training and and showing people how to follow Jesus and to be more like him. That's how it worked. That's how it still works. And so when I use the word discipleship, that's where we're going. It's what basically the parents are doing as we have this child dedication. We could actually call it a child discipleship service. Because what's going to happen is those parents are going to disciple their children to be more like Jesus as they watch their example and as they listen to their teaching. And that's how it should be in our family as a church as well. So we see that we must help one another become mature. We must help each other become mature. Ma- the word maturity is used here in Ephesians. Again, maturity is talking about Christ-likeness. Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so we come together as a church to help each other become more mature. We help each other grow closer to Jesus. That should be our goal. We need to build each other up to mature manhood, which is the fullness of Christ, and no longer be led away by, like, led astray like children. That's what Ephesians said. And when we proclaim Christ to one another is when maturity is seen. So we need to be proclaiming Jesus to each other so that we will be more like Him. So we must help each other become more mature. That's part of discipleship. Another part is we must be speaking the truth to one another. Uh, Ephesians 4. Just read that. It says uh, that we need, rather, in verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, to Christ. Speaking the truth in love, it's sharing the truth that God, uh, sharing the truth of God is loving. We love one another when we speak truth to one another. In Colossians three sixteen and 17, another element of this is seen. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice here that this is addressed to the church, and it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and dwell in y'all teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. The idea is we teach and admonish one another. It's not just one person doing all the teaching and admonishing, but we do it to one another as we sing together, as we let the word of Christ dwell in us. The point is here that when we speak the truth, when we let the word of Christ dwell in us, it leads to a God-glorifying life not only for us, but others who are watching we teach others as we worship together. Remember, we went back and said that one of the goals of this church is to worship together. And when we do that, we teach each other and we allow each other to grow. When we speak God's word, we're going to see this next point in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. Let's read that. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That word training, I love that. Remember, discipleship is training. But the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we speak scripture, what happens? Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. The word of God trains people to be more like Jesus. That is the point. So we speak truth. And when I say we speak truth, that doesn't mean the idea of just speaking your truth. It means speaking his truth. The truth of the word of God. And then finally, in Ephesians, I mentioned, we must all work together for the growth of the church. We must all work together. In Ephesians chapter 4, notice the end of it says, from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is an important point. If the church wants to be healthy and growing, if we want to be a growing family, We will not just have leadership, but we will be discipling one another. That every part by which every gift that you've been given, every part of the body, every part of the family, participates together so that we will grow together. A church will not grow if people are not actively seeking to help others grow. It won't happen. It's similar to what you'll watch even in a family. Like the parents will teach something to their older child who will then instill that into their younger child. The idea is the whole family is working together to grow and the same idea is here. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. This was a command given to the church as Jesus leaves the earth. He says, Go therefore and make disciples, discipleship, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And part of that's through baptizing, and it's through teaching. And so we teach one another, we share the gospel. That's discipleship, because we're bringing people to a point where they need to know Jesus. They can't grow in him until they know him. And so we, as a church, need to work together. Every part works together for growth. And our final point, not only does a church need good leadership and a good leadership structure, not only does a church need a good discipleship happening in its body. And by the way, I'm not saying we need to have a discipleship program. I'm saying this should be organic. We should be living with each other and building into each other to teach each other to grow every time we're together. Or And it doesn't have to be super formal. It can be informal. But then there is another element of discipleship another element of what a church needs to be healthy and growing and that is discipline that is discipline the church grows through discipline Ephesians 4:17 through 24 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a lot here. But what I want to point out here is that discipline becomes the negative side, if you want to say negative, but negative side of training. If you're going to train for something, there are certainly times where your training will be hard and painful. And so when we talk about discipline, what we're saying is there are painful things that need to happen if you want to grow. I've heard the analogy before, and I don't do this, so I don't know. But if you weight lift, basically what you're doing is you're breaking you're breaking your muscles so that they'll have to regrow stronger. And if that's how it is with our physical body, that's also how it is with our spiritual body, with our church. Sometimes there needs to be pain in order to grow. And so discipline becomes a part of that. It's just like in the family Painful chores and experiences even prepare kids for life. Think about that. Uh, if kids never have to endure anything growing up, then how are they going to be ready to face the world they go out into? And the idea is is that, yes, d- discipleship happens, but it also then bleeds into discipline. Notice discipleship and discipline, same root word there. It's about training, and this is kind of the negative part in the sense, the painful part, I'll put it that way. So what is it that Ephesians tells us? Well, it says that we need to walk away from sin and towards holiness. We must walk away from sin and towards holiness. So notice we already read 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. And it says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love in this verse that there are two things that the Bible does that are Positive, and two things that seem negative uh, the two things that are positive it's teaching that sounds good you're just being taught and then training in righteousness but then there's also in the midst of this reproof and correction when we're wrong when we're sinful when we need to be reproved when we need to be corrected when we need to be disciplined scripture's there for that too the bible isn't meant to just be a, a book that you come and listen to be read and it just makes you feel good all the time sometimes you'll read a passage or hear it read or hear it preached and it'll hurt But the point is to change the way that you're living. And so we see that even in Scripture that that is true. And so we need to walk away from sin and towards holiness. We need to put off the corrupt and deceitful life as Ephesians says and put on true righteousness and holiness again and then see God's word for reproof and correction Godly discipline is for our good and for our holiness. The book of Hebrews would tell us that in Hebrews 12 if you want to read that. It would tell us again that just as God disciplines a son or a father disciplines a son, so God must discipline us as his children for our good and his whole and for our holiness. So part of this is then we do that. We walk away from sin and towards holiness, and in doing that that means we must confess our sins to one another. Proverbs 28:13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And then James 5.16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So these two passages tell us that yes, we are called to confess our sins to one another. This is something that doesn't often happen. Part of discipline starts with you confessing sin when you commit it. A sin that is taking you down that you need help with. But many of us want to hide our sin. We want to conceal our sin. Proverbs says that's not a good idea. Proverbs says that you, if you want to obtain mercy, it's going to be someone who confesses, puts it out there, brings it into the light. And then James 5.16 takes it one step further because we might say, well, yeah, I confess my sins to God. We need to also confess our sins to one another. I think there's a very practical reason for this. Even though we know that God is real, obviously, and God is everywhere... That is true. We believe that, but sometimes I don't think we really understand it or get it. And so it's easy for us to say, God, yeah, I did this. Because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind in a sense. But if we confess it to one another, the family that God has placed us in, then we can help one another in that process of turning from sin and walking towards holiness. And that's why we need to confess to one another. So again, here's where I would say find people in your life that you are open and honest with about everything and that you find true accountability with. Not an accountability group where two people get together and say, well, I'm struggling with this sin. Well, so am I. Okay, well, I guess we're both bad people. That's not accountability. Accountability is I've sinned and someone else saying, yeah, you have and we need to. what can we do to help you change? And then the other person can say the same thing, and I'm struggling with this and I need your help. That's That's accountability. Find it. Look for it. Seek it out. Don't close yourself in, but confess sins to one another. That's part of discipline. Because if you let sin fester, it'll just blow up. So, but there's another side of this. Not only must we confess our sins to one another, but part of the discipline process is that we must watch out for sin in each other's lives. James five nineteen 19-20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And then in Hebrews 3, 12-13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here are two passages that talk about that we need to watch out for sin in our, in the lives of our family. So it doesn't just stop with saying, okay, I need to confess when I sin, but it also means if we are witnessing our brother or sister who is sinning against God and sinning against others, that we go to them and we confront them. Now this does not, this is not about being a jerk and walking around and telling everybody everything that they've ever done that is wrong. But if you watch somebody that is being taken captive by sin then you need to free them from that by bringing them back to Jesus that's the point you can't stop them from sinning by just smacking them around or being mean to them but if you can draw them back to Jesus that will be what will change their heart change their life and James says that if you do that you're covering you're saving a soul from death and it will cover a multitude of sins it will bring beauty it will bring growth in the body this is a hard thing for people to do and I understand that but it's for your brother and sister's good that you tell them if you notice something in their life we need to be aware of the seriousness of sin and also exhort one another to stay away from it that's what Hebrews says it says take care brothers lest there be in any of you an, in, an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin We need to take sin seriously. And it's so seriously that we not only care about sin in our lives, but we care about sin in our family's life. And so when these three things are happening, when when a church is walking away from sin and towards holiness, as they confess their sins to one another and as they watch out for one another, which by the way is the whole reason for uh, Matthew 18 and church discipline that Pastor Justin talked about last week. It's again to bring people back to Jesus. It's about keeping each other accountable. It's about... Living, yes, a life that sometimes makes it hard and painful, but it's for our growth. So again, three things that a healthy, growing family needs. Godly leadership, godly discipleship, and godly discipline. Those are three core elements. And that's what hopefully we pray and we work for here at Alfred Alman Bible Church. So what are the implications for us today? Well, they're pretty simple. First of all, devote yourself to discipline. Be open to discipline from God through accountability with others. Be ready to watch out for sin in your family members and help them escape from it. It's both sides. It's being open and willing to say, yes, I've sinned and I need help, but it's also willing to say, you've sinned and I want to help. Both sides bring discipline to this church and it will grow. You need to devote yourself to discipleship. So, both ends again. First of all, you need to be teachable and ready to learn and grow as a member of this church. Because we all need to grow. Every single one of us needs to grow in our relationship with Jesus. No matter how far we might think we're closer than anyone else, we all have a lot of room to grow. More room than we even think we do. And so, be willing to be teachable and ready to grow and ready to learn And become more like Jesus. But then on the other end of things, look for ways to help lead others towards Christ-likeness. Look for opportunities one-on-one, in groups, in formal ministries, during home groups, during Sunday mornings, when you see each other at Wegmans, whatever it might be. You need to be looking to help others towards Christ-likeness. This is discipleship. If we want to grow into a healthy family, we will disciple one another. And finally, devote yourself to leadership. Again, there's two sides of this. One is be humble and respectful to those shepherds that God has put over you. Don't be a wandering or a biting sheep. Even in disagreements or misunderstandings, we can all still submit to one another. And I say we all submit to one another because the Bible says that all of us are called to humility. And that's what submission really is. It's being humble enough to say, I'm going to listen to someone else. And so, yes, devote yourself to the leadership of Alfred Allman Bible Church, but then the other side is, consider whether God would have you step up to lead. Maybe as an elder, someone who is going to be overseeing this church body. Maybe as a deacon, someone who is going to help and and serve this body so that it'll go to the place that it needs to go. A deacon who will be helping next to the elders. Maybe it'll be something completely different. Maybe less formal leadership. Maybe you just need to take a bigger role in leading your family, a bigger role in leading in a small group. Whatever it might be, find a way to lead. Be a shepherd of people. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, be a shepherd of people as you're being shepherded by Jesus. And I would say this, just to add on to this, we are always looking for people who are willing and wanting and qualified to serve as leaders in this church in so many different capacities. But we're not going to come and beg. If you see that God can use you there, would you please talk to one of our elders? We'd love to connect you with a way that you can be a leader in this family. But even if it's not formal, find a way to lead. Two final questions as we finish. First of all, have you been born into the family of God? See, before you can grow... In this family, you need to be born. That's how life works, right? A baby can't grow until it's born. Or at least conceived, I guess would be more precise. So you need to be born again in order to start to grow. You need to be born again to start to grow. And to be born again, you need to know Jesus. You need to know the author of the family. The fact that Jesus came and died, that he lived a perfect life, died a death on the cross to pay for your sin, the times that you've walked away from God, so that you can have forgiveness if you will simply trust in him and turn from living for yourself and living for him, to turn from sin and trust Jesus for salvation because he died, he rose again to give you new life if you only receive it from him. That is how you can know Jesus and then you can become part of the family and then you can start to grow Jesus wants you to know him, know the author of the family. That's where you need to start if you don't know Jesus. And so today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know him, He's not. you're not in the family of God because you've not been born again, then today is the day to change that, to come to Jesus and say, I need you to forgive me of my sin and I need you to transform me from the inside out. Jesus, would you do that? I believe that you have died for me. I believe that you have rose again to prove that you have defeated sin and death and I want to follow you with my life. Would you help me do that? And we come to him in faith because of what he's done and if you haven't done that then make today the day you do that talk to someone in this congregation that knows Jesus and they will be glad to introduce you to him and finally then the question we all need to ask is are you contributing to the growth of this church are you contributing to the growth of this church as we close our series we must all ask ourselves if we are actively contributing to the family Because this is not just a family that you just come and sit on the couch. I've been in family reunions like that, family gatherings. There's always somebody that just comes in, sits on the couch, hope he's not watching this, and just falls asleep. That's not what we're called to as a family. Don't be a couch sleeper. Okay? If you're going to remember anything, don't be a couch sleeper. Be active in seeing this family grow. Whether it's through discipleship, leadership, membership, fellowship, stewardship, worship. Just get on a ship. We need all of these things in our lives and we need to participate in all of these things. We don't grow without all these things working together, without all of us working together. That's where I want to end our series. The whole point of being a family is that we all work together to know Jesus better, to live for Him more, and to continue to grow into maturity to be more and more like Him every single day. And when we do that, we are growing as a family. And we all need to participate in that. There are no bystanders. There are no people that are just watching from the stands. We all need to be playing. We all need to be in this together. That is my hope. So my question then is, is are you contributing to the growth of this church? And if not, find a way to start contributing. And if you are, try to find more ways to continue or do even more. We need one another. If we want to see our family grow, we need one another. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to not... sing a final song based on time. Um, And I'm going to pray and after I pray I'm going to take a break from talking and John McDermott's going to come up and give an announcement and then I'll come back and do a few more announcements. So, um, uh, with that being said, let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the service that you've given us this time. I thank you for this family that you've placed us in. I thank you for this time even that we started with with watching parents who are devoting to see their children grow up in the maturity of Jesus and God that's just one small picture then of the big picture of what we've been talking about today about helping one another to become more like you to disciple one another so that we will grow so God help us to grow as a church help us to grow as individuals God would you help us to all participate in growing and God if there's anyone here that is not part of this family would you bring them in pray for that. I pray you would do that. I pray to this morning, just again, that you would continue to work in our lives as a church to bring us together for your glory, and ultimately that you would bring us more and more close to you as we serve you together here as in this family at Alfred Almond Bible Church. I want to thank you again for this morning and all that you've taught us, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.